I started first with entrepreneurship. So before being an investor, I've been a founder. I've built multiple startups very young with a lot of mistakes and a lot of failures, which turned into a lot of learnings. You just have to do it. You just, you go for it. It's like when you, you're on a date and you see in front of you this beautiful woman, this beautiful man, and you want to kiss that person, but you're not sure. You're so scared. And I said, you know, at the end, you just have to do it. You just, you go for it and whatever happens, happens. So, you know, it's the same with selling. Selling is scary. It's uncomfortable. You, you're out of your comfort zone, but you just have to do it. And with time, you get better and better and less uncomfortable. Hello, I'm Somi Arian. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. Today, I'm joined by Gabrielle Jarrison, a French PC who only invests in startups coming out of the Y Combinator. Gabriel began his entrepreneurial journey by creating his first website at 13 and selling his first startup at 25. He's also known for his popular YouTube channel, Leonis Investment, a leading source of investment insights in France. We'll dive into his journey, exploring strategies and insights that I'm sure will be interesting to both investors and founders. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So Gabriel, it was really nice meeting you during Web Summit. I'm so glad that um, you know we uh, crossed paths and, uh, and I really liked what you're doing with your fund, uh, investing specifically into startups that are coming out of YC. So why don't you tell me a little bit of your story? How did you become a fund manager um, and, uh, and and VC? What's, what's your story back? Uh, I, I mean, I know a little bit of it, but tell it for, for everybody else. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to chat with you. Um, my story starts, uh, you know, 15 years ago, maybe. So I'm uh, I'm Gabriel. Nice to meet you, everyone. Uh, I'm French originally uh, and based in France still, um, even though I only invest in the US. So I started, I'm an engineer originally, and very quickly I started first with entrepreneurship. So before being an investor, I've been a founder. I've built multiple startups um, very young with a lot of mistakes and a lot of failures, which turned into a lot of learnings. You know, I probably made all of the mistakes possible which allowed me to, you know, really get a feeling of why they're mistakes because you make them, your startup fails, it stays with you for a very long time. As a founder, I had some very moderate success, but three exits, uh, small, but, you know, still allowed me to have a little bit of cash and a little bit of credibility. And so then I started angel investing in 2013. So that's, you know, uh, 10 years ago already now. And um, uh, or, or initially, originally on my own, just my own money. And it went quite well. I was, you know, investing, uh, doing well, had some exits. And so a lot of people kind of were um, um, asking me, oh, you know, you're, you, you've had a few exits. How can we potentially invest with you? So then after investing on my own, the second part was uh, starting a, an angel group, an angel club uh, with mostly French investors that led me to invest in Silicon Valley and the Y Combinator. And then because I was doing, that was doing quite well, really well, uh, then I started my own fund, Lobster Capital. This kind of a 10, 15, maybe 12, 13 year journey overall um, that brought me here uh, in a few sentences. 
Very cool. So um, when you started Lobster Capital, by the way, why is it that so many venture capitals have got fish names? <laughs> is there something behind that? I, 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 wanted, I wanted an animal, so you should probably build Cats Capital, right? Probably. <laughs> yeah, I probably but, will. <laughs> but uh, I wanted an animal. I thought it was cool. My my, my, um, my club before in, in France, <clears throat> the film was called Leonis, and the logo was a lion. Uh, you know, lion is like a... I don't know, fancy king of the jungle, whatever. And then lobster, I think, is kind of you know less serious, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of uh, uh, explanations behind it. There's a lot of things uh, uh, why lobster, which I, I won't get into, but um, it, it was not necessarily a fish. It would need for me to be an animal. Um, originally, I had another animal, which I won't name because it's already taken. So I had to change. But I'm actually super happy that I landed on lobster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've noticed that in the whole. Um, you know, investment and capital kind of world, there's a lot of fish names. So for example, in crypto, people who hold, uh, you know, a certain amount of crypto, you whales. Know, whales, and then, and then, then there's like, uh, I don't know, sharks and, and, uh, yeah. you know, all, all sorts of different kinds of crap. There's bulls and bears and there's a lot of, yeah, it's true. Well, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so lobster camp capital, um, I know that now, you only invest in startups that are coming out of Y Combinator. When did you start that and why did you decide to do that? Originally, uh, my story started in France and investing in French startups. And I had the group, you know, we were investing a few hundred thousand euros per, 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 per year. And it happened to me like a, a revelation, like an epiphany. One morning I woke up and I was investing in tech startups in France. And I said to myself, wait a minute, you know, I speak English, obviously, uh, tech startups, the biggest ones and the best ones in the world, they're not in France, they're in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I can just, you know, take a plane and go to Silicon Valley and speak English to people. So that's what I did. I took my plane, I took my backpack, I arrived in San Francisco. Bonjour, everybody, this is me, Gabriel. And so I was like, okay, let me try to kind of replicate what I did uh, and, and, and do it there. And so I came in, in California with a really kind of a set of fresh eyes from the outside. I didn't know much about the space. That's, you know, around 2018, 2019. And very quickly, I tried to look for the best investment opportunities for the best deals. And I looked everywhere. Uh, I saw a lot of different things. And of course, I saw Y Combinator. And, you know, I'm an engineer, so I'm very kind of analytical. I was comparing, okay, what is the best? What is the best source for me of deal flow, et cetera? And quite quickly, I realized, well, you know, the best deals of Y Combinator are probably the best in the world. And it is most likely one of the best places for me to invest. Then came the question of access, which, you know, it's very difficult to get access to those deals, but I very quickly saw, okay, those deals are amongst probably, the, you know, among the best or the, or the best of Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is already in itself the best in the world. So this is where I should invest. So it was really kind of discovering and trying to have an you know analytical view, and and it led me directly to YC. And um, how exactly did you manage to? Was it like networking? How did you manage to get access? <laughs> That's a question I get asked a lot, and um, you know the answer is a lot of work, uh, a lot of network, and a little bit of luck. Uh, it is extremely extremely hard to access YC. I was fortunate to you know, meet the right people, be at the right place at the right time, invest in the right company or companies uh, which open the door, the doors for me of YC. Uh, it is almost impossible to, to, to you know, uh, get access to that network unless you go through YC yourself, which 
I think we, we might talk about as well later. But um, yeah, it was a little bit of everything. You know, I spent a lot of time, met a lot of people, worked a lot, proved myself over and over and over again, and then a little bit of luck on top of that. And voila. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. So why did you not want to support your compatriots, right? You know, like, like a French uh, startups, because that seems like um, it was also a, a great opportunity in front of you. And I, I, I mean, not everybody has to go through YC, right? So I, I just, I just love to know what, what was the thinking? You know, did you think that they were not as good, or you know, opportunities were not as good? Yeah, tell me. Yeah, that, that's also a question people ask me sometimes. Like, oh my God, you, you know, you're a traitor to your country. <laughs> you're, you're not even uh, supporting the French ecosystem, and also the French ecosystem is growing quite well at the moment. Um, Listen, it's uh, of course I I love France. I'm proud of being French. Like I said, I still live in France today, even though I'm in San Francisco, of course, very often. But I still I'm still officially based in France. Um, and but you know when people trust you with their money, it's really hard to say to people, you know, trust me with your money, with you know one thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand dollars or euros, and I'm gonna grow that money for you. People work very hard to make their money and they're very scared. And so my responsibility as a fund manager or as an investor is to make the most money for my investors. That's why they trust me. They have to believe that I will make my best effort to you know, uh, make money for them. And so again, with my engineer brain, I very quickly realized that Silicon Valley is a bigger, uh, you know, uh, more, more potential, bigger game. Uh, for a lot of reasons uh, that I can briefly touch on, but basically there's more exits. Their companies are bigger. They raise more. There's a much bigger stock market, which in Europe is almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. So there's a, and, and bigger companies to acquire the startups as well. There's a lot of reasons why Silicon Valley is a much better place. And you will make more money in Silicon Valley than in Europe. And so because I could, then it was kind of my responsibility to invest mm -hmm. only there because every time I see, and I see a lot of deal flow in France and some companies are amazing. I'm always thinking to myself, you know, I'm not, this is not going to be a $10 billion company because we have very, very few $10 billion companies in Europe. And even the ones that reach, you know, the, the unicorns per se have very few exits as well. How do you get the money back? So you know, it was kind of obvious for me. And again, I want my uh, uh, investors to make the most money possible. Mm -hmm. If they do, they'll be happy with me. Uh, I'm, I'm very young and very ambitious. Well, I'm not so young anymore, but very ambitious still. And so, you know, I want to make a great, great returns for my investors. So that's why. So it was a simple statistical decision. Yes. Yes. Uh, I can also tell you that it's also more original. You know, there's if you're a French investing in France, you're like doing like everyone else. For me, I'm also so right now my fund is international. I have investors all over the world, including in the US. But for my European investors, I'm also sort of selling the American dream, if you want, right? Like, oh, be, through Lobster Capital, we have access to the US, but not only to the US, we have access to Silicon Valley and the Y Combinator. So that, that's also part of the branding, if you want. But again, it's not just branding for branding. It's branding that I really believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the process of, you know, fundraising for your fund. How, how, how big is your fund? Tell me a little bit about like um, what, what number fund are you on and all that stuff. So this is fund number one and it's 10 million, uh, which is in the world of funds uh, considered mean, you know, ma nano macro, like super small. Um, it's still, you know, 
a lot of money to raise, obviously, and, and not easy, which I'm going to uh, talk about in a second. But yeah, it's a 10 million fund number one. Uh, I'm planning on raising a fund number two, which uh, I hope would be uh, 50. So a little, you know, bigger, still small fund in the world of funds. You know, there's funds of tens of billions, et cetera. So, um, you know, one step at a time, you go 10, 50, then maybe 150 or whatever, and, and you grow. So I'm on fund one and it's 10. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to answer right. your, your previous question, yes, uh, uh, telling you know raising a fund specifically for white combinator is s- much easier for a number of reasons. Number one, YC is a very famous brand; almost everyone knows YC. And if you don't know YC, you just look at the numbers. Five percent of YC companies become unicorns. Five percent—that's one out of twenty. If you randomly take twenty companies of YC, you should have one unicorn in there, which makes the the, the whole return. So that's you know super super impressive. Another another reason is when you're an LP, you trust your money with someone, you give your money to, to a fund manager. Basically, you really don't know what they're going to invest into. Like there is no way of knowing. Of, of course, they tell you kind of the thesis, but if it's like B2B SaaS, it could be any company in the world or maybe in a geographic. With Lobster, you know that for sure all of the investments will be YC companies. It's very reassuring for investors as well. So yeah, it is much easier to raise that way. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me a little bit about. Um, did you ever go through YC yourself? Uh, I did what, not. What do you know from the viewpoint of if, if founders are listening to this, should they try to get into YC? Or what does it take for them to do that? My belief, it's personal, of course, but my belief is, in almost every case and every situation, yes, you should try to go into YC. Uh, trying is not succeeding because they accept less than 1% of applicants. So it is very, very, very difficult to get in. But if and when you do, um, my opinion is that it's life-changing for your business, but and it's actually life-changing for you as a person as well. Um, the main reason is you're going to have, for a matter of a few months, you're going to have the eyes of, you know, thousands of investors for, for from the whole world pointed on you. It's going to be super easy for you to raise money at a higher valuation. And then you're going to have that brand follow you around for years and years and years after that, which is going to make everything for you easier. You know, reaching out to other founders, hiring is going to be easier because, you know, look, we're a YC company. Of course, everybody wants to come work for you, et cetera. So in almost every case, I would say it is worth it to, to go into YC. I have so many founders telling me, oh, it's too late. We already have X revenue or we already raised or whatever. Even for people having revenue, even for people having raised, in many cases, I do think, again, personally, that it's worth it going through YC. Um, I know a lot of people disagree with that, and, and that's okay. But that's, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah. So tell me, what does it take? Uh, so what is the hallmark of a type of company that gets accepted into YC? So, uh, you know, that's a great question, of course, especially for the founders listening to us. I, you know, I don't have all the answers, of course, because I'm not part of the, of the decision. I can tell you what I see, because I, I see so many of them. So, okay, um, first of all, it's very rarely solo founders. It's usually a team. And then it's usually a tech project. And so you need to have a CTO. You need to have someone in the team, a developer. If you have only developer, like three people, the three of them developers, that's fine. But if you have zero, that's a problem. So that's something that you know you have maybe in a batch of 200, you have maybe two solo founders. The rest are teams with a CTO. So that's you know number one. Number two, um, it changed over the years, but right now, for, you know, in 2023, 2024, you need to be in the U.S. and 
most likely you need to be in San Francisco. In your application, I think they ask you, you know, where are you intent, where are you, where are you planning to be in the near future? If you're saying, you know, oh, I want to stay at home, I want to stay in Paris, I want to stay wherever in London. Again, your chances are, are you know, getting slimmer. If you say, you know, I'm moving to San Francisco, coming to the mecca of, of startups, in the, you know, uh, uh, you have much, much, much higher chances. The the batches were remote during COVID, then they were remote friendly. Now they're still remote friendly, but only on paper, actually, you kind of need to be there. So that's another thing. Then, you know, a lot of people believe that you need to have revenue to get in. That's not true. I think it's like 60 or 70% of startups get accepted without revenue, like super early with just a team and an idea. So that's enough. Uh, then it's who's your team? What's their experience? Are they you know, credible in building this? The idea you're going after and the way you, you, you present it, uh, the way you think. It's not only about your idea. It's also about the way you think around your, your idea. Because a lot of YC companies pivot during the YC batch, but it's really about your mindset and how you're going after it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, let's say, um, you know, somebody hasn't been able to get into YC for many reasons. Um, you know, they are, maybe they don't fit the bill. Uh, but but what are some of the things that we can learn uh, from the type of startups that go through YC um, that, that we can apply to companies that are not necessarily Y Combinator? Yeah, uh, uh, that's, you know, uh, that's a great question because I think every startup could potentially benefit from from copying or getting inspired at least. So before that, one thing I want to say is if you don't get in, uh, you should reapply the next time. That's one thing that, you know, YC really encourages you to do. Uh, it's People, sometimes they feel like ashamed or something like, oh, I was rejected. I don't want to face rejection again. Um, I know many companies who get in, they apply three, four, five, six times. And at the end, they finally get in. So that's something that I would uh, suggest you can do. Then, you know, what can you do like YC? Um, There's a few things. Something that I really like with YC companies is they don't really care for the superfluous. For, for the things that are not important. So, you know, at YC, they tell you, make something people want. And so you should only do two things. Code, create your product, and then talk to customers and sell it to them. And, you know, uh, especially in Europe, it depends where uh, the listeners are, but in Europe, in France, of course, but everywhere else, people are like, oh, you know, let me create a design and let me, you know, write a patent and a logo and like change my website. And I see people spending weeks and months on the logo, on the website, on the blah, 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 on the business plan, which again, you know, doesn't really matter where, you know, YC companies, they just go for it. It's like you build it, you sell it, the end. And then you repeat, right? Build it, sell it, repeat. So something I like, like they're really kind of laser focused on that goal. And it is because the, the batch is very short, it's three months, and you have a very short amount of time to, to you know, get traction and get revenue. And so you should probably create some like sprints for yourself, virtual sprints of like, okay, I have these three months and I'm just going to sell and that's it. Because the rest, you know, if you, if you have a great logo, a great business plan, whatever, but you don't sell, your company is, gonna, is not going to survive. On the other hand, if you have customers, but you have no logo, no business plan, your business is going to survive and is actually going to thrive. So that's one thing that I really love. Something that I like as well, but I'm not sure if you can reproduce it, is uh, YC companies don't spend too much time fundraising. Uh, this is because they're famous and everybody wants to invest in them. Um, 
maybe you cannot really do that on your own outside, but I see so many people fundraising for six months and it's such a huge distraction. Potentially you should fundraise for, you know, two weeks, one month, and then whatever you've raised, you keep it and you go with it, but at least you go back to building because usually it's like half time or sometimes full time for one of the founders for six months. So during that time period, he or she is not working on, on, on his business, right? So that's a big problem. What else can we talk about about YC? Very committed, very focused, narrow focused. Um, they usually leave together the founders for three months. They have like usually they become roommates, and so they live and breathe YC like from morning to evening, even at night. They just do this. So you know, I would really suggest that this is unhealthy over the long term. Uh, I I believe very much in work life balance and you know, having a, a life outside of work and setting time aside for your family, et cetera. But for, the, for those first three months, everyone tells me it changes completely the dynamic because you're, you're all in, you're doing it all the time. So this is something you could try as well. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's, those are the first things that come to mind. Maybe I will have some other ideas, but, you know, I'll stop. Yeah, this is a good, uh, yeah, this is, this is really interesting stuff really good ideas so basically they're in a just do it mode right like yeah. i, I want to talk a little bit about that fundraising thing one thing i found as a founder myself was that um the amount of time that it takes and energy that it takes to raise money if you apply the same amount of time and energy to generating revenue yes you will be in a better position thank you why you know, that's why we initially started out as a Web3 platform. We were we were building a Web3 LinkedIn. Um, that didn't work out because Web3 didn't really proliferate the way that we it, it would do. So I had to pivot. And then as I had to pivot, I needed to raise some money. And, and I, I wanted to raise, uh, you know, a bridge round. I still had a couple hundred thousand in the bank. And I wanted to raise a bridge round because I was like, okay, I need money for this pivot. What I found was that it was very difficult to raise money for a Web3 platform in 2023, as opposed to when I first raised in 2021. Oh, yeah. So, so what I did, I was like, uh, I, I tried for uh, three months, raised a small amount from a few people whom I knew, but it wasn't enough really to justify spending the time. So I decided to completely pivot away from Web3, keep the money that I had, and really focus on revenue. And that really changed everything for me. I just like, I feel so much more productive. I'm now bringing in revenue. I'm bringing in, you know, I've, I've rebuilt the, the entire business model. Um, and, uh, you know, there will be a rebrand, all that stuff. But it's like, I just decided to become really frugal, you know, and um, just work with what I had. Um, I put some of the development on, on hold because I was like, okay, we've already built something the platform is working. It's working for the purpose of what we need in order to make money, to to bring in revenue. It's enough. There is what what is there. There is enough because you can get into this spiral of oh, yeah. you know I'm gonna raise money, build, raise money, build, and rather than focusing on actually generating revenue. So so I stopped the development. I was like that actually the, the last bit of development is finished now and starting from January there will be no more development on our platform for the foreseeable future because everything we need is there for now uh, until uh, you know we, we focus on revenue and I started going out instead of talking to people about 
you know, investing, I, t- I started talking to them about, here's how you can use our platform uh, exactly. for your, you know, for your business. And here's how you can, you can benefit from it. So that, that really was a game changer for me. And, and, and I decided not to raise money and just like, just focus on revenue. So, uh, so talk to me a little bit about what's your observation. I, I love that so much. Thank you for, for sharing this because you know, we, of course, I'm an investor. And so all the time I speak to startups raising money and we keep talking about fundraising and, you know, startups, they announce, oh, we raised X, we raised, you know, 1 million, 10 million, 100 million. It's so amazing. And something I keep telling everybody is customers' money is better than investors' money. It's exactly what you what you talked about, you know, and, and what you said is so important. If you spend the same amount of energy People spend, you know, months to fundraise and they completely ignore their business. And if you do put that energy to to your business, you're going to have money and you don't need to fundraise. And in the end, it's so much better because you have 100% of your equity. So, of course, as an investor, I'm super happy that some startups are choosing to raise money. It allows me to invest in them and to share into their success into the future. But some, you know, many times I say to people, you should not be raising money right now. Uh, you know, it's you. You can, of course, if you're at YC, people will beg you to take their money. So in that case, of course, it's super easy. You raise money, you get a couple million dollars in the bank in one week. Sorry, in a week you get a million dollars. Of course, you're gonna get it, right? And you're gonna take it. It's super easy. But for most founders who are not at YC, you shouldn't raise. My experience personally, I built seven startups and sold three, never raised. So when I sold my businesses, I always had. 100% of the equity, which, you know, allowed me to have some nice exits as well. So, you know, this is amazing that you speak about this because we keep talking about fundraising, including including us at the beginning of the podcast, you're investing, blah, blah, blah. But so many times you shouldn't fundraise because it's going to be super difficult. 2023 was extremely hard to fundraise for people and you should just put your energy to, you know, grow the business. And I always say to people, you should fundraise when you don't need it. Because when you need it, it's going to take a lot of time and energy. And, and most of the times, it's not going to happen for you. But if you don't need it, so the company is growing, et cetera, then it's super easy to fundraise when you actually don't need it. So, you know, thank you for, for, for talking about this topic. It's, it's awesome. I, I agree with you. I think, I think you're right. Um, fundraising when you don't need it. I, I really like that um, uh, idea. It's interesting because now there are times when I'm talking to potential clients uh, that say, hmm, are you also raising? And I'm like, actually not, <laughs> you, know? you know, but, but I'm like, but when the terms are right, you know, at, uh, you know, in, in the right kind of environment, I might um, take some money that is, that I think will help, you know, uh, help uh, propel everything a lot faster and, and move, helps us move, move faster. But primarily I'm just focusing on revenue right now, because I think we have everything we need. And I think a lot of times it's about actually stopping and taking a look at what you have right now and, and thinking, you know, how can I generate revenue with what I have? One, one of the other things I see quite a lot is that founders come to us and they say, we've built a product, um, you know, and, and we have um, spent this much time on creating. We now need to raise money to oh, hire yes. a sales team to oh, sell. Yeah. And it, it drives I, me I, crazy. Yes. So talk to me about that. So <laughs> I, I, I look, it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm like, you need, you're the founder, get out and sell. Yeah. Right. You say, I mean, you know, you, you, you've said it all. Like there's nothing to add. This is, 
it's it's so terrible when I hear this. I'm like, you have no idea. Like, you're not an entrepreneur. Uh, again, it's also it's not their fault in the sense that everybody all the time talks about fundraising. So they actually believe that this is the way to build is you create and then you raise. And only once you have raised, you can spend on marketing or on hiring a salesperson to, to, to sell it. And of course, it's super, you know, uh, the furthest away from the truth. Um, and of course, no one at, at YC is doing it like that is they're selling th themselves, like, like you just said. So it's not entirely their fault. Uh, I think it's good that we're kind of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, establishing the truth here that you don't need money to sell. You just need to sell on your own and money will come later. Um, but that's what they've been told. That's the example that they see. And so then after the problem is, you know, after a few months, they're not able to raise. And so they just, you know, drop their project and go back to a job where again, if they put the same energy instead of raising to sell, they would have a business. So why do you think um, some founders um, are finding it hard to sell? I just think that you can't be a founder if you can't sell. Selling is such an important, such a That's uh, true. fundamental aspect. But it's scary. You know, selling is scary. So last night I was doing a webinar in front of 150 fund managers who are starting to fundraise. And everyone was asking me, how do you ask for money? You know, you talk to investors and then how do you ask for money? People are like, it's scary. It's uncomfortable. Money is not always an easy topic. How do you do it? And, you know, I told them, you know, you practice and you go, but you, 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 you're very casual about it. You, you're very polite, etc. But I told them, you know, in the end, you just have to do it. You just, you go for it. And I took the metaphor, which is fun. I say, you know, it's like when you, you're on a date and you see in front of you, this beautiful woman, this beautiful man, and you want to kiss that person, but you're not sure. You're so scared. And I said, you know, at the end, you just have to do it. You just, you go for it and whatever happens, happens. There's no, so, you know, it's the same with selling. Selling is scary. It's uncomfortable. You, you're out of your comfort zone, but you just have to do it. And with time, you get better and better and less uncomfortable. And um, I think I agree with you. If you're not able to, in the end, you know, business is always selling something to someone. If you're not able to sell, you're not going to have a business. So you can either have a co-founder that can sell or it is going to have to be you. And you, but, but the good news is you can train. You know, uh, you can be super bad at selling and just train with a lot of, you know, it's not that hard, actually. Again, Y Combinator says, make something people want. So if you create a very good product and then you train a little bit with selling it, you can easily succeed. I agree. I think one other thing I would say is, this is something that uh, people who go through Y Combinator probably already have and um, because of the brand that's behind them. But you need to build a brand and that yeah. that you need to and that brand sometimes has to be yourself. And in my case, you know, I, I've been lucky that I've been building my brand for the past 10 years and, and that really helps. Right. So so I guess part of that is you want to put yourself in a position where it becomes a little bit easier at first as you start to build your brand and then it gets easier and easier the bigger your brand becomes the more reputable and you become you know then it becomes easier you know it, uh, i will make a very small tangent but i completely agree again with we have the same opinions on everything it's the best podcast that i've ever done because we agree on everything <laughs> on it's every perfect <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but you know we live in these social media age Everyone can create their YouTube, their Instagram, their TikTok, their whatever. And it's basically like owning your own TV show, your own TV channel. Uh, and it allows you to create your own brand. You can your, your own website, your own mm -hmm. blog. And you just put content out there and it creates your brand. People know you, they follow you, et cetera. And, you know, this is a superpower. Um, 
I advised most of my companies that I invest in to have some sort of social media presence. Even the founder could have a YouTube channel of like, this is my journey as a founder. This is what I'm building, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I did this, by the way. I have a big, uh, big, I have a medium YouTube channel in, in France. And, um, and and it helped me tremendously because it's, you know, it's it, like you said, power of branding. Yeah, 100%. I always take the example of Donald Trump. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, in France, everybody hates him here. But, and in California as well, everybody hates him. But, you know, he wouldn't be, whatever you think of him, he succeeded pretty well. He He's president of the US, right? He was. Uh, maybe again in 2024, we'll see. And um, this is a lot because of his TV show. He was for 10 or 12 years on TV every day. At the time, he didn't have YouTube, but without his TV show, he couldn't have been president of the United States. So today, you don't need to be on TV. You can just create your YouTube channel or your TikTok or your Instagram, et cetera. So yeah, that, that helps a lot when it comes to selling. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, the mental pressures uh, of building in today's macro environment. You know, I, I've been super interested more and more. I've been thinking a lot about founders, mental health. You know, I've dealt with my own fair share of mental health, you know, challenges. Uh, I have ADHD, a bit of autism, a bit on the spectrum of, you know, a mishmash of different things. And for me, it has always been actually a blessing in disguise. It's, it's, I've used it to my benefit. Yes, there's been difficult times, but um, over time I've learned to manage it and, and I've made it work for me. Uh, what are some of the specific things that you see in today's macro environment, especially, the, well, there's a combination of the macro environment and then there's also the constant shift of technology. So like, for example, you build a product, you wake up in the morning and ChatGPT has been released and, uh, you know, and you lose uh, everything that you built, right? So, so uh, over the past few years of you, working as an investor, what are some of the examples you have seen? Maybe do you have a story to tell of maybe a a startup that um, built something and then it was completely displaced by a new technology? I bet there were so many of them them that happened with ChatGPT. There there are. uh, Luckily, none of my investments, because that's something that I look at previously to investing. I'm very peculiar about this, but you know, I love this topic. It's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I've also had my fair share of, of uh, a mental health issue. I could, I should say. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm actually per- persuaded and sure that you know, being a founder, uh, even more than an investor, an investor kind of has a better position because you invest in a lot of companies. Some of them are not doing well. You have others doing well. And, uh, you know, usually you're raising a fund, so it's not even your own money, even though, you know, most people, including myself, are investing in their own fund. I'm also invested heavily into my own fund, but I think investors probably have it a little easier. But I've been a founder before and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've struggled a lot with, with my mental health because when your business is doing well, you're doing well. When your business is not doing well, you're not doing well. And being a very young entrepreneur, my business was my identity. And I see a lot of people defining themselves as entrepreneurs and that's it. And so my business, my work was my whole personality, my whole self. And when the business went to zero, I felt like a complete, complete failure. I thought my life was ruined and it was horrible, you know, really horrible for me. And it was really difficult to to move on and, and to move past that. So, uh, that's why I love talking about this. I love uh, being open about that because you know people know that they're not 
alone, struggling. It is really hard. Uh, I truly believe that entrepreneurship is not made for everybody. And I think people who can succeed, the one I think the only thing, you know, the, the only difference between people who can and who cannot succeed is not about diploma, it's not about, you know, skills, it's about mental health. Because it's going to get so difficult for you and it will get difficult for everybody, are you going to be able to, to move past that? And I'm not saying without suffering, without pain. Everybody suffers, you know, including me. But at some point, I was able to move past it and to keep, to keep, you know, building stuff and and starting new businesses and et cetera. And and you know, I ended up in a place that I like. I don't want to say succeeding because you know what is success. But I can say I ended up in a place that I like and that I'm happy for myself. But it took years and it was so hard. And and I saw a lot of people give up along the way. Uh, also, in raising a first fund, I I know a lot of first-time fund managers, and you know, raising a fund, you get a lot of rejection. Who people who don't want to invest in your fund, of course, you know, not everyone you talk to is going to say yes. I'll give you a million dollars, um, and it gets as well, you know, tiring of getting rejected and rejected and rejected. So again, I saw a lot of people kind of uh, uh, abandoning along the way or, or just stopping their fund because they're not able to keep their hope and their mental state high up. So, you know, I love that topic. I think we should talk about it so much more into today's society. We only celebrate winners. We never talk about failures. When people fail, we're like, oh my God, they're 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 so lame. They failed. You know, failure is great. It's learning. I failed so many times before I got where I was. And uh, entrepreneurship is extremely hard and we don't talk about it. So people, you know, they rush to start their business because it's the latest trend. It's the new thing. Uh, I'm going to be able to, you know, to 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 uh, talk about it to anyone like, oh, look at me, I'm so cool, I'm an entrepreneur, blah blah blah. Yes, maybe, but you're also going to struggle a lot. And again, you're not alone; it's normal. And um, I wish I had a solution. I wish I could say, you know, this is what you do. In that case, like this is a solution. I, I, there is no real solution. It's just you and yourself, and and hopefully you get some help, whether professional or just you know your 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 family and and close close ones. Um, but yeah, at least we talked about it. Yeah, I I, I watched a, a little clip from Sam Altman, which basically paraphrasing here, but basically he was saying, suck it up and just <laughs> just get on with it. You know, yeah. that, that, yeah. it's true. That's kind of the solution. Like there's no real other thing that you can do uh, or you give up. Hmm. But if you give up, you're not an entrepreneur anymore. And that's, you know, there's no shame in not being able to withstand that and, and being, being not not be willing to to endure this because it's it's hard so you know there's no no shame in in giving up honestly tell me a little bit about uh, let's let's talk a bit more about this idea of you know people building things that could become commoditized you said mm. that when you are investing you look out for that you think about that how do you possibly know how will you possibly know what would be the next thing that comes up? So, uh, yes, yeah. because because the way you said it is, you know, you invest in a company and one morning G chat GPT comes out. Uh, of course, this you cannot predict. I, I, and that's why you're asking me, you know, you cannot predict like uh, uh, some big major changes uh, uh, that are going to come. AI is one of them. Crypto probably is one of them. Um, a lot of others, like right now we see a lot of changes in space tech, in med tech, of course, with, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, RNA, um, messaging and um, there's also robotics. I think that are you know going quite well. Uh, Tesla released their version two of their robot, which is I don't remember the name, but the new robot is insane. 
can do so, so many stuff. There's a video where the robot is picking up an egg and, and with, you know, not crushing it, which was for a long time considered as kind of something impossible to do in robotics. And, and that's it, 2023. So having dexterity, basically. Yeah, and 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 sensitivity of pressure, which is extremely extremely hard, because uh, you 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 don't have you you can drop the egg, so you have to apply pressure, but you apply a little bit too much and you crush it. Obviously, it's it's super super hard. Anyway, um, so those big big major changes, you don't necessarily see them coming. You know, every time GPT launches a new version, tens of thousands of startups die on that day because you know everyone was like, oh, we're a chatbot with AI for doctors or chatbot with AI for lawyers, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, next week, GPT starts, you know, now on ChatGPT4, you can create your own bot and that's it. That's That startup is, is dead. All of them are dead. So some major changes, you cannot see them come coming, but, but a lot of things you can. And, you know, including maybe ChatGPT in itself, you couldn't really know when and where and exactly how, but AI has been improving for years and years and years. And so that's also part of my work and something I do a lot of is looking at the big trends of AI, but also the submarine trends. Like what is going to be the ChatGPT of 2024, 2025? What are the trends that less people talk about, but still are worth investigating and, and, and getting interested in? So my job is being super curious, super open, and reading a lot of stuff, which you know I love. Uh, it's just so cool to just read a bunch of books uh, uh, for my work, right? I, I, I think that's part of my job. So, uh, and then when I invest, I'm looking at something that personally I call the unfair advantage. And so the unfair advantage is what does that startup have that is really difficult to replicate for someone else, for anyone else? So, you know, if you are an ex-banker building a fintech and you have all the knowledge of how this actually works, it's going to be super difficult for someone else to come in and compete with you because th that other person doesn't necessarily have the same knowledge as you. It's just one example. So I'm looking at that criteria. For me, it's very big when I invest. What's their unfair advantage? I don't want them to be copied and disrupted and destroyed the next week. Um, and so that's why, you know, like you said, when GPT came out, none of my companies went to zero. I haven't really invested in AI. Not that I'm not interested in AI. I think like everyone else, that it's super interesting and probably a huge revolution in the, in the coming future. But remember the dot-com bubble. The first companies, the first few months, everybody rushed into it like idiots, sort of. Like crypto, crypto in 2021. Exactly, like crypto. And then everything went to zero. All the projects, all the companies. And it's only after the first bubble that the big companies came, the Googles, the Amazons, the blah, 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 the Ebays of the world, you got to kind of wait for the first wave where everybody jumps in it, jumps on it. You know, there's this thing like when your mom or your grandma is asking you about crypto and then asking you about AI, like this is a, a symbol that it's, it's a bubble. So, you know, in 2021, my mom was like, oh, I should buy some Bitcoin. I was like, no, mom, it crashed, <laughs> right? That's why I'm not saying I won't invest in AI. Of course I will. I just think it's a little bit too early. We're waiting for some more players to get established. We don't even really know what's Google, what Google's response is going to be. There's Bard, but now there's Gemini and then blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'm pacing myself. Let's see. I'm, I'm in this game for the next 30 years anyway, right? So I have time. Yeah, and like you said, you're very young. <laughs> so so tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your um, vision for where things are going, like in terms of what do you think is the next big trend? You know, I know that space is a big one. The climate is a big one. 
uh, I suppose, um, quantum computing. But where do you see um, the next big trend being in, let's say, in the next one to two years? So I think AI is only going to get bigger, but more established, like we talked about, like the the, the mm -hmm. fake, the bad projects are going to be with you that probably. Um, right now, personally, I'm really interested looking into space uh, because, you know, SpaceX uh, mm -hmm. uh, divided by 30, I think the cost of, of, um, of going to orbit, but with their next... Um, with their next rocket, the one that the, the big fact rocket or something, the one that they tried, it exploded, but they 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 it passed the, the point of maximum pressure basically. So we know with a few tweaks and like it, it's going to it's going to work. And so with this new rocket even bigger, they're again going to divide it by ten. So it's ten times times thirty times. That's three hundred times cheaper. So there's a lot of stuff that you know that's going to happen in space you see so many interesting things um we can talk about array labs that's doing 3d imaging from space with a new technology we can talk about this other sadly the name is not coming back to me but they're basically manufacturing molecules in space that are not possible to manufacture on earth and then dropping back the molecules on earth with a parachute like it's insane what's going to happen in space in the coming years um something else i think is uh, uh, all the uh, medical stuff like you know covid we had the vaccine with uh, uh, rna uh, and it opened a lot of new things right now we don't really talk about it anymore I, I guess people are fed up with vaccine and medicine and stuff but a lot of people think that potentially this rna technology could unlock maybe a treatment against cancer you know in the next 10 years uh, which obviously would be a revolution and you know cancer is a big word that doesn't mean much because there's so many different types of cancers of course it's not one solution to fix everything, but of course it is a big, big, big problem uh, on earth today. So those things I think are going to be huge. They're not typically what I invest into, by the way, uh, but I I'm was going to ask, them. what's your, what's your focus? Do you have like a specific focus in your fund or are you agnostic? I'm agnostic in the software space. If it's digital, if it's not physical <laughs> product, I'm agnostic. So, you know, space tech is of course very physical and usually med tech as well. If it's software for the biospace, med space, I will do it. I actually have a few investments in that space, but it needs to be, you know, bits and 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 data and not physical uh, objects and 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 pieces. I I noticed that um, a lot of investors shy away from anything that um, requires physical production. Why is that? I, I'm finding it hard. Like for example, even wearables. Um, we have some startups in the wearable space, and they find it harder to get investment. You know, it's just easier for us. Um, the main reason for me is hardware is really difficult and you got production costs uh, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And, you know, when you're out of cash, but you're a hardware product, if you cannot create, manufacture your product anymore because you're out of cash, your company dies for sure. If you're a software company, you're out of cash. You know, it's just your app or your server. It costs you, you know, $100 per year. And you can keep trying to get customers and get money in, but you don't need to put money to manufacture what you're going to sell them because you're only selling. So for that reason, it's it's easier. It's also more scalable. You know, if you're Apple, every time there's costs of materials, of shipping, of, you know, paying the employee making the iPhone, even though it's in China and it's cheap, but you still got to pay them. When you're, you know, Airbnb, every time you're selling a, a home, you don't build the home. So, you know, you can sell... 10 times more homes, make 10 times more money, your cost doesn't increase. If you're Apple and send, sell 10 times more iPhones, you got to create 10 times more iPhone. So for that reason, it's just easier. Um, 
now there's more and more people wanting to go back to the hardware uh, and they say, you know, we should uh, back the difficult things because it's brave, I guess. And I like that approach as well. I think we do need some people uh, doing that. And I'm thinking of how I could potentially maybe do that in the future in one shape or another. But again, you know, right now, like you said, I'm young. Well, you know, I, I don't, I'm not 20, 25, but uh, I, I have huge ambitions, like I've mentioned. So I, I want to make a name for myself. And so this is going probably the path of least resistance for me. But I'm also thinking of, you know, yeah, backing some very ambitious and harder projects in the future. Right now, I just want to, you know, uh, go with, the uh, with what I know. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. Where can people follow you? And uh, what do you want them to take away from it? Any final last words? <laughs> uh, follow me. The best is probably LinkedIn. Um, you can find me with my name. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not super active. I'm on YouTube, very active, but it's in French. So if there's any French speakers, you can find me on, on YouTube as well. And second question, what do I want people to take away from this? Well, you know, I would say for me, kind of what I would take away from this is um, don't go into if, either investing or building a business just because it's a trend, just because, you know, you can uh, uh, boast about it to your friends and because you just want to be an entrepreneur because it's you know, cool to to hit on 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 men, on girls or or guys or whatever. Um, do it if you have a passion. Do it if you have the 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 burning fire in your in your chest that you really want to do it. You want to have an impact. Don't do it for the money. By the way, we don't talk about this. But if you just want to do it for the money, it's not going to work. Uh, do it to make the world better or to have an impact or to do something to help people. And uh, because it's going to be very hard. So if you don't have the mission, if you don't have it deep inside you. Uh, it's going to be super hard for you. Um, don't do it for the for the fame, for the trends, for the money. Uh, do, uh, you know, in that case, go do something else. Yeah, do it for the right right reasons. Thank you so much, Gabriel, for being here. This was a great conversation. And thank we you for having everything. me. <laughs> thank you for having me. It was awesome. I loved it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gabriel Jarrison. Be sure to follow him on LinkedIn to stay up to date with his content and insights. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others that you think might find it interesting.